good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from very hot, very humid Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you from Harlem today. It's going to be 84 degrees, and that's fine. It's called summer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic Blog, and last year I wrote a book, uh, Personalization of the Museum Visit, and I'm coming to you from Newburgh, where there's lots, lots more sky to see than I used to see in the South Bronx. Nice. Um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Uh, before I announce today's topic, I wanted to um, let any of our listeners know that uh, visit the website or have tried to visit the website in the last week, we can change. Uh, the website's going through some upgrades. Uh, it actually got hacked uh, about, uh, we're not actually sure, maybe a month ago, give or take. Um, we don't have as much time uh, to put into the website as we do to the podcast, um, but had recently recommitted to redesigning it and found out that it had been hacked. So it's uh, if you get a message about it not being secure, it actually is secure right now, but that's part of the hack. And so that's going to be taken care of this week. So anyway, I know we do have some listeners, so you know it's a very natural thing to go to the website um, if you listen to the podcast. So. That'll be that'll be in place uh, probably by I'd say the September first. So, cool. Um, cool we're cool. continuing our uh, we're continuing our conversation um, on a, the middle class, basically mm-hmm. the suburbs, suburban living. Um, you know, last time we when we were catching up yesterday, you know, picking up to pick up the third of the conversation today, we were reminding ourselves what we had talked about, and it, we each had our own sort of characterizations of it. Um, but Seth, why don't you jump in with, uh, with how you would essentially characterize kind of the tension, um, uh, between, you know, sort of aspiration and political perception of, of the middle class in America. Um, and then, you know, we'll go from there. Well, I think, and this is mostly anecdotal, Mm -hmm. that the perception now of the middle class among various other classes. And I and I want to say that it gets complicated immediately because I think that there are lots of people who who are um our generation, generation X, younger, um, millennials, etc., who don't identify as middle class necessarily, but certainly belong in that uh-huh. tax bracket, in that socioeconomic grouping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they won't, but they specifically don't identify as such because middle class, the term is freighted with a good deal of sort of, um, I think social conservatism, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it reads to me as, oh, uh, you know, no, no Karens are from working class folks, right? No Karens mm-hmm. are from the, um, are yeah. from the, from the wealthy classes. They're middle class. They're people who, mm. um, Probably own their own home. They have a uh, 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 one or two car family. They um, have at least two incomes. Um, they're unlikely, you know, it's that heteronormative um, husband and wife. Um, in some cases, it's husband and husband and wife and wife, but this sort of template is husband and wife heteronormative mm-hmm. um, situation with 2.5 kids. And 
the tendency is to, is, it, at least when I hear the term middle class, is to think of that kind of social conservatism married to a certain kind of nimby attitude. Like, like, you know, y'all can protest, but not in my backyard. Or y'all mm-hmm. can do this, but not around my kids. Not, mm-hmm. there's a, it, it, it's sort of, it's sort of like that notion of, individual rights consisting of a sort of bubble that surrounds the person, right? Mm-hmm. That protects them from incursion, um, political and, 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 and social and physical incursions from other people around them it gets expanded out to surround the family, mm-hmm. right? So this family lives in this sort of bubble of, um, of social conservatism, mm-hmm. of wanting um, lower pro- property taxes and better schools for their children. Right. And, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I agree. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that I, I get what you're saying. The, the, only mm. thing, the only tiny, tiny caveat I would add is I'm not sure that they would necessarily – I'm not sure that a Karen has to be from a two-income family. I think that the stay-at-home right. sort of housewife could be definitely – I reflexively think of that a bit more, and I, I probably would add a few more on your bullet point. But but I think that's a good character. No no no, add them please, please, yeah, because yeah. I, I know I know that I'm super incomplete about uh-huh. it. Yeah. Well, I think that the, you know I, I do I, I do think that there is an aspect of you know kind of the the blending confusion um, sort of complication of middle class being freighted with a kind of, as you said, social conser- conservatism, heteronormativity, mm-hmm. uh, all the rest of that stuff. It's white. I mean, when you think middle class, you tend to think right. white. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that that is in fact the case. I'm saying that, that it tends yeah. to, that tends to be what is, what is, comes attached to it. That's the, that's the medium. That's, that's, yeah. the, Absolutely. that's the advertisement. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, but it is in fact, as you, I think, helpfully pointed out at the beginning, this is a socioeconomic designation. You can, you can pour a variety of other cultural attachments or you can accessorize that socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me improve my analogy. You can accessorize mm-hmm. your socioeconomic status with mm-hmm. a variety of other cultural commitments, a variety mm-hmm. of them. BLM, mm-hmm. you can be a middle class person and be a BLM supporter sure. and activist. You can be a sure. middle mm-hmm. class member. Of course. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I really, I mean, it really is a, an indictment of the the dearth of the American imagination currently. Oh yeah, that those two things seem to not be able to easily exist side by side. Right, and and you get you know you get people who subscribe to more progressive politics mm-hmm. that. seem to reject the very idea of a middle class, seem to reject the very idea of kind of economic aspiration. And as if if only white, straight people like houses with yards. Like, (laughs) like that is definitely, like, that's that's crazy. That that lack of imagination has... It's that article that you sent us on Adolf Reed, you know, <laughs> the mm. black Marxist scholar wanted to talk about a race and ignited a fury. And I was mm. reading the piece thinking that if in fact both, I was listening to both arguments, you know, you can't solely look at race as a determinant 
in terms of freedom and development in this country, in terms of challenging that socioeconomic status of so many different people, but also the system itself. And you can't ignore race. You can't solely use it. And I was thinking that it's not an either or situation to me. It's, mm. it's, it makes more sense to me to not like, so over the past four to five years, there have been campuses uh, where students have said, no, we don't want this guy to come and talk. We don't want this woman here. We don't agree with her. And yeah. we've talked about it on the podcast before. And we've, I've talked about it with other people. It's like, let them come. Let them come. Mm. See if their ideas hold up. Talk mm. with them. Mm. But if you don't have the conversation, then you can't move, right? And for someone like Adolf Reed to be... Um, it's funny. I keep on thinking Adolf Hitler. Adolf yeah. Reed. <laughs> Stephen, can you tell us who Adolf Reed is really quickly, just for our listeners that don't know who he is? Sure. Adolf Reed is um, a uh, – what is he? I'm going to read this because I don't really know. He um, is a professor emeritus at the University of Pennsylvania. He is a leading socialist scholar and basically worked at the top trio of top universities. He's been doing this work for decades. And he is, you know, he's, I know he's a smart ass. I've read some of his pieces in the Village Voice years and years ago and found myself either agreeing with him or disagreeing with him or un sometimes not wanting to agree with him because of his tone um, mm. over the years. <laughs> and so um, what bothers me is that I, I like the way that he said, he says, um, he feels as if that, and this is in the piece, an obsession with disparities of race has colonized the thinking of the left and liberal types. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about this dearth of imagination. To want to have a house, um, to have reliable transportation, a job that doesn't suck your soul and gives you, you know, um, a pension, these things aren't the, um, they're not solely white, white folks' aspirations, clearly. And anyone who has looked at American, just America in the 20th century can see that when it comes to, uh, yeah. you know, black folks or uh, other kinds of immigrants who've come here to seek that life and yeah, have sometimes accomplishments. So that just feels like it's a it's a boring argument and it, it, it deflects from the larger issues here that I think are yeah. on the table. Yeah. I mean, all those people aren't in internment camps on the border because they want to come be, you know, activists, social activists. Right. They, those people are on the border because they want a better life and home for their families. But it's, easy, so, to, but it's easy to whistle at the white, not just white, but the middle class aspirational folks or the people who are actually middle class because these are different things to me. To dog whistle yeah. at them and say, these things are a threat to your livelihood. I know. That's yeah, yeah, what... Yeah. Um, 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 Stuff just said, you know, it's like, I don't want that, not my neighborhood. And it's like, well, it's not that simple. It's never been that simple, yeah. really. It's so never so I want to, I want to say something about uh, an aspect of uh, middle class that we were, so, we were just sort of gesturing at, but I don't mm -hmm. think we've clearly articulated yet. It, and that's the lack of precarity. I think that, mm -hmm. I think that being middle class, for me at least, uh, means precisely that. And, and when we say, Things like um, reliable transportation, a job that doesn't suck your soul, a house that you a house, a house with a yard. Um, I think I think lots of middle class people have jobs that suck their soul. No, oh, agree, yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Agree yeah. with that. Agree yeah. with that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> agree no, with that. I would, I would, yeah, I was I would put an asterisk by that. No, that's right. But yeah. mm -hmm. maybe they're not precarious, right? So I, I'm thinking okay. about yeah, yeah. The, so the, sort of the alternatives, right? So where people are coming from who line up at the border who seek asylum to get into this country. 
what is what is the situation back home? I would imagine, mm-hmm. like it was for my parents, um, when my father left Kingston back in the in the sixties. Uh, I looked it up. I think I've, I mentioned this before, maybe maybe a long time ago. I think if I if 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 the historical record I I read was accurate, that in Kingston, Jamaica, mm-hmm. unemployment was somewhere between twenty and twenty five percent. Yeah. Woo. Right. Yeah. So so Ooh. really precarious yeah. existence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's what yeah. they're fleeing, right? And the thing mm-hmm. about, I think there's something about the very, it's, it's a very American, U.S. American thing to prop up this 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 class and say, okay, here's what you all want to achieve. Because it's really, it's very much tied to the notion of the American dream, right? Again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. lack of precarity, that owning a home, having reliable transportation, i.e. the cars, mm-hmm. Um, being able to send your kids to college. Um, that mm. is sort of, sort of upward mobility, right? All right. of these things are wrapped up in that dream. All these things connected to the middle class. It's very on brand for us to create this fantasy, this aspirational image, mm-hmm. and at the same time, revile it. So it's, it's, it's like mm-hmm. to be middle class is somehow to be kind of boring and stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Like at, at, at oh, the same yeah. time, mm-hmm. at the yeah. same time, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the idea that you, your, your middle class now means like you drive a suburban. It's like, and, and you know, this, that says <laughs> with a certain amount of disdain in yeah. a lot of circles, right? Like, yeah, that it, it just yeah that you're parsing different types of beige for the for painting your living room and, precisely and, and accessorizing your bathroom and trips and to pop- IKEA and potpourri like it's 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 fascinating to me that that it's both obviously really good and obviously really bad yeah well you know so I for me I. I am sympathetic to the kind of pleasant malaise that mm. comes along with that kind of uh, I am I am sympathetic to the criticism of the pleasant malaise that comes along with that mm. um description of the middle class and I don't think that it is entirely inaccurate. I, I think mm. that there is uh, I mean you know you get this in some of the the creative work coming out of the Scandinavian countries now in the Narsgaard or whatever, the novel, um, like uh, his novel, a very, very long novel about sort of like what happens to the edgier, more aspirational parts of who we are when so much of our life is um, successfully managed and so many of our needs are successfully and mm-hmm. rather easily met. So mm-hmm. I am absolutely 1000% on board with the concern about that and how that might affect individuals um, over the short and long term. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, I think that probably most people are pretty satisfied having their needs relatively easily met and are pretty satisfied parsing small details in their lives and deciding on that and that bringing them a kind of happiness. I'm sorry, Stephen, mm-hmm. what did you say? No, mm-hmm. that's perfect. I mean, what you just said, mm-hmm. I think that most folks are satisfied and also feel like that that has largely like informed our culture, like a lot of the films and books and even mm-hmm. the music that we listen to. Um, early on, I was looking up Casper, Casper Milk Toast, 
the comic strip and was looking to see if Casper Milktoast had any, you know, this is like the 30s. And I was wondering, I was like, well, it's a little too early to kind of maybe not talk about middle classness or even kind of a class, right? He was just a Mm -hmm. meat character who was always on the getting hit, you know, and always Mm -hmm. being hurt. And I was like, I was trying to figure out a character and I was thinking about the 80s movies that I saw and something you said, Seth, about the reviling of it and, 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 and liking it at the same time makes me think of Edward Scissor's hands, you know, the mm, kind of sure. moment. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that our, um, Tim, Tim Burton seems to be at one point obsessed with that sort of fucking with that sort of everyone lives a certain kind of life, but then you have all these much more interesting characters like Beetlejuice and so forth, or the daughter who's the goth, but everyone else is kind of an idiot. You know, that was a mm. lot of the eighties movies. And I was trying to figure out, like, you know, then I thought about Footloose, which is one of my favorite films to go to, because one guy wants to dance and nobody wants the guy to dance because it will change (laughs) everything. (laughs) And I remember looking at the other day going. I feel like that was the elevator pitch for Footloose, probably. That's how that movie got sold. I mean, but but it has has its, um, I think it's. It's um, origins in a lot of films like Billy Elliot and other films in England mm-hmm. where they're even mm-hmm. more, you know, here we have this idea that you can transcend. Um, Although your, Billy Elliot's Billy Elliot's after Footloose. Yeah. Well, yeah. Before yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The, right. But there are other movies like Billy Elliot that preceded Billy uh, Elliot uh, okay, that are fr- okay. films and everyone's like, I don't, I never, you know, and it's usually, <laughs> sure. then I'm thinking about Emma and I'm thinking about people sort of like trying to move in and out oh, of class in a different way. But sure, there's, sure, sure. But there's this um, rigidity that we're all taught to, we're not all taught to. It depends on where, how you enter the cultural conversation and what's being lauded in the film itself. But like, is dancing really going to change everything? <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Yes. It's going to change everything <laughs> because we are taught that I remember like early on, I was like going, when I, I went to college, when I was in undergrad, someone called me middle class and I was like, no, I came from a working class, poor background. And mm-hmm. it really had never occurred to me that what she was saying was aspirational. I was in college mm-hmm. to go somewhere to do something else. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to go back to that community mm-hmm. because that community, one, was dying, but two, also the jobs in Toledo were, um, the vanishing middle class was a real thing, obviously, in the Midwest because mm-hmm. of the factories and other places that allow people to, at the very least, own their home, have a mm-hmm. car, maybe two, and send their kids to schools that weren't in the inner city. So mm. um, I'll stop there because I because I have this other thought budding. And I know you, you might want to say something, Travis. I love when you do that to me. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Can I, can I jump in? Can I jump please, in, actually? Please, please, please. I would, there, was a, there was something that was um, tickling, the, uh, um, tickling my um, brain, and I, and I managed to look it up while you guys were... Mm-hmm. Uh, while you were talking, Stephen. Uh, and H.L. Mencken, apparently back in the 20s, oh. was a person who was supposed to have called, coined the term the bourgeoisie. So, mm. so, <laughs> yeah, so even around the time, right, when in the 20s, we, we, we talk about someone that was, had a mean streak. I mean, a fantastic writer, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mencken very much had a mean streak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I think a lot of the good writers do. Um, not sure, all of them, yeah, but sure. a lot of them not do. Enough, yeah. That's Sometimes, fair. That's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, you know, which is a combination of boob and the middle, and, you know, French term for the middle class, uh, which is very much, um, uh, a critique of of the middle class. It's and it's in, it's fascinating to me that that 
critique is is being mounted at a pl- at a point where you don't really have a strong middle class yet. In the twenties, you not in not in the U.S. Right, like it's bur- it's burgeoning. It's starting to happen. Right. But, but, I mean, but, this is a, this mm-hmm. is a, this is a, that attitude, Mencken's attitude, and and the and the so you know, let's draw a connection to you know more contemporary uh, politics, sort of you know the uh, the BLM movement that wants to uh, that has an avowed uh, Marxist platform, mm-hmm. um, and and which I, I kind of want to bracket it because I feel like even though I I do not. I think that Marxism is flawed for a couple of reasons um, that have nothing to do with, um, you know, I don't, I'm for the redistribution of wealth. You have to redistribute wealth because otherwise it accumulates unfairly in a few people and it causes social upheaval. So practically speaking, I'm all for it. Um, I, I have some more sort of specific philosophical issues with Marxism that we've kind of touched on in the podcast before, but the the thing that they have in common, Mencken and something like BLM and sort of the the social media uh, mob right now that wants to cancel people, is is a real like refined and dismissive elitism. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the these these social media observers and and retweeters and people that like sort of glom on to these very sort of radical, fringy, disdainful critiques of mm-hmm. the rest of the people that, you know, surround them, other, mm-hmm. you know, kind of middle-class people, people in power or whatever, mm-hmm. is a kind of, it's it's a decadent sort of elitism. Mm-hmm. But what they, they disdain the middle, mm-hmm. right? And, and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the thing that I am sympathetic to from an aesthetic point of view, and maybe even from a historical point of view, I'm not entirely convinced that you don't lose something very essential to being human when you uh, when you level everything and make everything sort of too comfortable for people. But but I'm not so arrogant to think that I want to infringe on other people's like quest for that. Like if you mm. if if what you want if what you want is a comfortable middle class life, mm-hmm. which Looking at the the looking at migrations and looking at the history of the world seems like a pretty safe bet for what most people want. I mm. mean, most people just want to sort of mind their own business and be able to sort of take care of their families. Um, and that and that's oh, go ahead, Stephen. I was going to say the um, that quest that you're talking about has been and been at the expense of so many people for so long. That I understand some ways, and I understand mm. that frustration and anger, but not totally, totally approve of it, right? I feel like it needs to be thought out a little bit more. But I feel like when people say they just want to mind their own business and go home, well, they want to mind their own business, but in that minding of their own business, they, um, they can't. I mean, in some cases, they're not as thoughtful about. The, the welfare of others, right? It becomes that's that fair. thing, do you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, I, I was thinking about that right. quest, right? And I was thinking my father came to Ohio to leave the South to pursue a better life. I left Toledo <laughs> to pursue a better life elsewhere and eventually New York City. So I'm wondering how these migrations and these moments are shaped by the denigration of others, 
right? Mm. And so I, I agree. And they're supported the, by the denigration of us. They're supported. I mean, and even yeah. at, um, continental Blacks or Blacks from the Caribbean have, I've had experiences not so good with some and great experiences with others about what are Black people doing? They're just sitting around playing music all day. <laughs> I'm mm. here working these many jobs. I'm doing this. And then sometimes there's this connection where they go, oh, I know what the fuck you're talking about now because I've been here a little longer and now I'm starting to see some of the structures, Right that stop people from getting to that very thing we're all supposed to value, you know? So, so I, well, I uh, let me just, I, mm-hmm. super quick. I, I appreciate the qualification and you're absolutely right. I was starting, as I was describing, I was like, God, I'm starting to sound like neoconservative to myself, which is not how I meant it. Um, I don't so, even mean it that way, but uh, I just yeah, yeah, thought no, about it. I, I was like, I, going, but there's a reason why, you know? Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And I think that that is, I think that that's, uh, a fair correction. I, I have something else to add, but I'll let Seth jump in. Please. Well, the thing that came to mind when Stephen was saying what he was saying, and actually sort of came to mind when you were initially making your point, Travis, was that the classic scenario for me of being in um, Antebellum South and mm-hmm. having like white people who are sharecroppers or whatever, um, you know, ostensibly minding their own business, but when the 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 slave hunter comes by and they say, well, did you see which way that black man or black woman or that family went? They point them out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they just, they're just in that book. So, you know, there are ways in which a certain kind, ways in which middle class aspirations lead to complicity in actually causing harm or, mm-hmm. or more than that, more than that, actually helping to support and keep in place systems of oppression, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which, and, and, and I don't think activists are necessarily wrong in doing this, um, but I, don't, I think it's also a little bit too much of a broad brush approach, but an activist say, your support or your patronage of BP leads to blah, right. blah, blah happening. Absolutely. They have a, they have a point, right? There is a, there is a way in which ExxonMobil, blah, 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 um, petrol, uh, chemical, uh, uh, fossil fuel companies are actively leading towards human destruction. Like, like and, act and, actively, but, but also actively leading towards human salvation and protect. I mean, so, you know, like petrochemical, uh, are involved in the making of like the sheaths that go around wires that bring electricity to people. Like, I mean, petrochemical innovations are, are, in are inextricably bound up with modern life, which mm-hmm. comes with refrigeration, like yeah. is plastics. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so, so I, I thought you were going to say condoms when you said sheath. I was like, oh, hey. yeah, that's definitely saved me I, more I than sh- a few times. I, yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> let, me, let me see. I should have said condoms. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so kind of, that's a great example, actually. So, the, um, you know, the 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 oversimplification of those things right. is Agreed. what is oftentimes what I end up having an issue with. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the one thing I would add to what you and Stephen both checked me on, which I appreciate, is that for much of our history, 
the middle class was not just passively involved in keeping wealth out of non-white Americans' hands. They were actively actively involved in it. You know, like like burning Black Wall Street, you know, like looting black-owned businesses. So so it's definitely, you know, it's been like a minute that we Mm -hmm. stopped like, you know, looting and 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 breaking shit that that made us mad. So so I, I that is a very fair thing to point out. And I do get that the the anger around that is still um, fresh and uh, motivating, and um, and in some instances it leads to you know some certain inspirational choices for people to you know kind of engage with that stuff. The only thing, the the the, the piece that I would want to qualify, and this is where I would, even though I don't agree with Reed, right, and I don't, I I, I am not a Marxist, mm-hmm. at least. Marxism has the next move, right? Mm, it it, it okay. knows where to go next, right? Mm. It know it knows that race from a Marxist critique mm-hmm. is a form of classism, and mm-hmm. that you have to dismantle race in order to dismantle the unequal distribution of wealth. So mm-hmm. it now agree or disagree? Actually, with I think, actually, I think it's the other way around. I think you have to dismantle the accretion of wealth so, in order to get at race. Uh, hmm. I don't no, know where no, I stand on that. I don't, 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 Right, so I would say that in or, that that's mm-hmm. that's the sort of veil. Race is the sort of veil, but the really underlying thing that you have to get at is the distribution of of wealth and resources. Right, so, yeah, I mean, sure. so we're saying the same thing in different ways. That's, that's yeah, fine. yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah. That's so, yeah. yeah. So we're on the same page. As we often do, uh, the conversation was split into two parts. We kept talking from here, and uh, this first episode really was a warm up for some of the stuff we got into uh, in the next episode. And uh, we hope you'll tune in next week. Thanks very much for listening.